You're listening to Food for Thought, the OFM podcast, brought to you by Vespa, nature's catalyst for optimizing fat metabolism. Hi, welcome to another Food for Thought, the OFM podcast, and I'm your host, Peter Defty, along with my co-host, Naomi Land. Naomi, say hello. Hello. Hey. How are you, Peter? I'm good. I'm good. I'm looking forward to this interview because we've got Jenny Hart on, and she's uh, down there in uh, Tomorrowland with you, right? Jenny, say hello. Yes, that's exciting. Hi, Jenny. Hi, Naomi. Hi, Peter. Hey, Jenny. So we're having Jenny on because a lot of reasons, and we're going to go into that today. So Jenny is... A school teacher and and has graduated to more of a trainer and kind of moved up the food chain in food. So she's she's a right and she's a mom of three. Are you? Yes, that's correct. Three boys. Three boys and you got a husband still. You haven't yes. chased, you haven't chased him off yet, huh? <laughs> no. So <Yeah>. four boys. <laughs> four. Yeah, there you go. That's right. You get to be the responsible parent. <laughs> All right. So, but Jenny is also a top flight age grouper in the Ironman long distance triathlon. So um, you've done Kona twice? Yes, Kona twice already, yes. And you just came off a very successful test run of uh, the OFM approach uh, at Bintan. That's correct. I I used that as a lead in for um, Kona this year, yes. Okay, well, let's let's just kind of get into this. Tell us about yourself and and start with your journey and then... uh, I'm going to let Naomi sort of take things over because she's more of a triathlete and talk about technique and stuff, but we'll also talk about OFM. So why don't you give us a, a background about yourself and where you came from, how you got into triathlon and all that great stuff. Okay. I I used to run at school. I was always a runner. Um, I had known about triathlons, but I always thought they were a bit too short for me and wasn't totally aware of the long sort of events. Um, my husband was a runner as well, and after we met, I, which was sort of in my mid to late twenties, um, I went for a run with him, and I hadn't really run much since school, and did five k's, and I went, oh, I'm going to do a marathon, so I did a marathon and had ticked that box, and didn't do that again for a bit, but sort of did, always kept fit, and then. A friend and I, he moved up to Port Macquarie and got into triathlons and we had a bit of a banter about that my marathon time was faster than his, so we challenged each other to a race at Gold Coast Marathon. And so I went on from there and did multiple um, marathons and a few halves and then decided that just rather than just running, I wanted to do some triathlons, so I went into... um, long course triathlon and my very first triathlon was at Shepparton Half Ironman in 2009. That was my first first ever try of a triathlon and I was hooked since then and I've done multiple long course and half Ironmans and this will be my sixth full Ironman, which my first was in Port Macquarie in 2011, I think it was, yeah. So, yes sort of a strange pathway. Yeah, it's amazing when you get the bug, isn't it? Like you just can't turn back. It goes from sprint to Olympic to half and then to full and then, yeah. 
Yeah, it is. And, it is addictive. That's for sure. I'm too lazy to do all that training. <laughs> so, did you have to learn how to swim? I had. I had swum. We were all taught. Like we grew up in Melbourne um, and had a holiday house at Torquay. So we were, and we used to be with nippers and and we've always grown up. And then we moved up to Yamba. So we've always been around big surf beaches and we've always sort of swam and. Um, I, I could swim, but probably my technique needed, and my parents taught, made sure all of us knew to swim from being toddlers. Um, so I really, before I actually did my heart first half, I actually spent probably 12 months trying to refine my technique and just improve my techniques, knowing that I had to swim 1.9 kilometres. Mm. And then, yeah, just keep going from there. So, yes. That's great. So um, can you give us a bit of a rundown about your lifestyle and um, diet and training, how it progressed through this time? When I first did, I can remember doing my first few triathlons and not knowing, and even with my first marathon, it was pretty well, um, you know, we didn't have all the, there wasn't all the gels and everything that's around nowadays. And so it was a lot on water and a few lollies got me through and no there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong with that (laughs) well i gave me my first marathon it was an under a sub 330 so i wasn't complaining so um (laughs) and then i sort of when i did my first few triathlons you'd sort of seen a bit about gels so i had a lot of gels but i as i had done a few i found that my stomach was starting to get um really yuck and i thought okay something's wrong here and so to do my first um, Ironman, I thought if I go like this, having this problem in half, it's going to be worse in a full and I'm not going to make it. So um, through my coach at the time, we, I, um, Greg Cox from the AIS developed something for me, which then over time we refined because it was still too much for me. And, and I found that I, I didn't need, as you know, some people have these multitudes, you know, I don't know how many gels lined up on their bikes. I never yeah. sort of had that. I couldn't stomach that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just had a friend of mine had sort of done things and I tried a couple of years ago doing something, but I didn't do it properly and, and I just had nothing in me when I raced and so I went off it. But I was sort of still reading and finding out information about um, sort of the lower carb approach and then I sort of um, was sort of looking through things and I came across the OFM and so I got in touch and got the information and and it, and it had been on it since oh, most since probably the beginning of this year and yeah love it like I feel so good mm, yeah so what tell us about your daily diet what do you tend to have from day to day so in the mornings, I, I train, I get up early, like I'm up training by five o'clock. Um, and because we live, we actually live on a property out of town, so running around or doing things during the morning is not a practicality. I can't do it and there's no lights and things like that. So I, like this morning, I got up and I was, by five o'clock, I was on the bike doing a, a one and a half hour session with a run off the bike. Um, I do that on nil, so I'm have nothing just have the water on the bike then I'm not 
necessarily hung I'm not hungry after it um, even though I've sort of done an effort when I'm um, coming into work what I tend to have is I make a bulletproof coffee um, in my thermomix and I have I grind my beans and I have cream and uh, egg yolk and some butter and some XCT oil in it blend it up and I drink that on the way to work and that's that keeps me going you know sometimes it might be two o'clock and I go oh is that the time? Like I, I'm not looking for sort of food by any stretch. Mm. Then usually around lunchtime, sort of around two o'clock or something, I, I've been, um, I love cheeses. So this diet works so well for me. Mm. <laughs> so my lunch is often a collection of different cheeses and some, um, some sort of, and you know, a bit of um, the twiggy sticks or something like that. Uh, lately, I've been having a, a sort of a thing of um, bone broth as well, and then that keeps me going. And I do a training session in the afternoon and through to dinner. And yeah, um, so I usually have some form of meat. Like last night, I had a had some chicken, which had a um, some sour cream and pesto baked in the oven with some um, veggies done in butter. So that's my dinner and I love it and it keeps me going. I don't, I don't, I'm not looking for snacking or anything during the day. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Like, and how simple it can be as well. Oh. Like it doesn't have to be complicated, does it? No, once you become, and that's what I liked about it is that I was actually, like the first time I wasn't educated on it, whereas with the guidance of the OFM, I sort of, I understood it, like I, I, I get it and I know that if I've got a, a harder session I, I know to sort of increase those carbs a bit you know through things such as you know it's not loading up with pasta and rice and things like that it's you know you, some sweet potato and and things like that and it just works like I feel I feel really good like I don't feel like you've got a little you know bit extra on the tummy <laughs> that sort of thing <laughs> and do you have any slumps do you feel any dips in energy or anything during the day no not at all like I'm sort of quite alert the whole time like it's it's actually quite interesting because you're not like before you sort of would be sort of that have those cravings for something to eat or something you know you needed something and even because I do I quite often do double training days is particularly um, after swimming, I was sort of um, really looking for something, say, for example, something, you know, that energy hit, that sugar hit. Sweet, yes. Yep. Yeah. And so and after a swim and whereas I swam last night and, no, I was fine until I got home. Like I did a couple of things before I even worried about getting dinner organised. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. You don't, you don't need that constant hit of food all the time because it's just what you're putting in is actually keeping you is sustaining you and you're not going down and you know these peaks and troughs and things like that yes and you seem to be listening to your body very well too Jenny yeah I think you've got to become to to do it what I do you you have to listen to it um and I've probably done that before is that I know when I've been racing and you know if I feel sort of a bit squeezy in the stomach or anything like that I'll back off things and you know just up the water or whatever until it goes and then I'll come back in I think the only way you can do it is if it's not this you know at 
you know, 10 minutes or, you know, 18 minutes, I've got to intake this much and have this. You've got to actually listen because, you know, that might be fine in one situation, but you can do the next situation, it doesn't work, um, you know, for various reasons. Yeah, boy, you really yes. are adopting this the way I'd like to see people adopt it because it's not just one formula fits all situations. I love it. I love it. That's why we're. That's why you're on here to tell tell other people it works. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not some scientific formula that you know you just you know a one squared by b two equals c. It's it's listening to the mechanics of your body and the feedback from your body and giving it what it needs. That's exactly it. Like um, last night after I'd finished dinner, actually, it was interesting. I sort of, I wanted something. And so I had some, um, <laughs> my other sort of weakness is I love cream. <laughs> so I'm just in heaven on this diet. <laughs> you <way> are. <laughs> I mean, I'm just so in love with the way, like, and I love butter. <laughs> so, and I've never been a bread eater. So it's, I'm just, yeah. And I just felt like some double cream, so I just have a little bit of that, and yeah, and no, I'm fine. Like, so that was last night, you know, seven thirty at night time, and then I only had my nothing until coming in and having coffee, my bulletproof this morning, and then I'm like, I'm not even looking for food now. Well, and, you, and you're so lean, and you know, you look so fit, and people are going to just automatically assume it's because of the volume of training, but. Uh, I'm sure you you could tell us that uh, before you made this switch, it's it's really the dietary switch combined with the exercise that keeps you so lean and fit. Oh, definitely. I mean, you can do um, lots of exercise, but you necessarily can still carry extra sort of weight, if that makes sense. Um, like the interesting part was that when I started it, it was after I'd finished our race season, at the start of this year so I was actually and I was having a little bit of time you know that just a break so I was never doing any high training I mean I was still keeping active um, and I actually lost it wasn't so much weight it was just um, it just you lost those extra little rolls that might have been sitting around like and and not, not through trying or anything it just sort of fell off and it was because I was and I didn't feel heavy anymore I felt yeah that's the that's probably the one thing I really noticed is that I don't I don't feel heavy in my stomach all the time um and when you're running and things you feel quite you feel light you feel good yeah that's a, that's interesting you say that because that's how I feel because I'm testing those other limits right now and I've actually kind of gotten a little bit more disciplined but what I notice is if I eat a bunch of that sort of more carby, bready stuff. I just don't feel good. You feel, I feel like stuffful, even though I didn't eat much. Yeah, it's and it's like sluggish. Yep. Yep, definitely. I don't miss it. I don't look for it. Like if um, you know, you can still have your bolognese sauce and everything, and I just make some zucchini noodles and do them in butter and have it with that, and then I'll put a dob of sour cream on it and things like that you can it's easy to adapt to yes yeah so when did you first um started doing your transition through ofm uh through ofm i started at, at the beginning of this year yes and sort of really followed it i was 
because I wasn't aware of the amounts of fats and things and carbs in foods, I sort of tracked it for those first few weeks to see it. But then um, I'm, I get a bit overdoing that sort of thing. Like I'm not one that needs to, like I just can't sit down and write everything <laughs> down like that. So, but I started to realise what were the ones that had the, the higher carbs in them and which ones were the better ones. Um, see, like I, I love my gr green leafy vegetables, like broccoli is probably my favourite vegetable. So I'll, I'll quite often just have just a whole heap of different green vegetables and I'll cook it up in butter and, and I love it. And it's interesting because I do the vegetables like that with, with, the boy, with my boys and they love their vegetables like that. They they say that that's their preferred way of having vegetables. So it's it's interesting that that's the way they feel about it too. So yeah. Yes, because you're setting by example. Yeah, yeah. And, and it does just, taste good. Oh, it does. It it's, does. Yeah, it's the butter. It's the butter and the salt and pepper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they probably had trouble with it before when it was just steamed broccoli, right? Yeah. It, yeah, like I still liked it, but it's got more flavour with the butter and the salt and pepper, like you said. Yeah, it's definitely. Yeah, have you ever tried making hollandaise sauce? No, I haven't tried that one yet. It's really easy. It sounds, you know, because it's hollandaise sauce is so elegant, it's really pretty easy to, to make. Oh, okay. I'll have yeah. to give that have one to a go. you post that rest recipe up, Peter. Okay, I'll <laughs> get it up. I have actually have a... A first edition of Vincent Price, Vincent and Mary Price's uh, A Treasury of Great Recipes, and it's it's sort of a an underground collector's item. And Vincent Price, I don't know if you guys know who he was, but he was a very famous actor. And, okay. And uh, it's a it's a collection of recipes from all the great restaurants in the world during the 50s and 60s. And all the recipes are like these really rich recipes. And, and the, in the back, they have all these basic things like hollandaise sauce and mayonnaise. All these really rich foods are actually pretty simple to make. And they, yeah. just, they just went out of favor in the, starting in the late 60s. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a very, as, as Jeff Volick actually says, it's a very luxurious diet once you understand it and get the hang of it. So... You know, if you're getting bored with just the butter, you can you can actually up the ante with butter and egg yolks and and cream and stuff, and it it just gets um, incredible. Might have to give that a try while I'm in. I've got time in Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so have you got your whole family on board with this now? Yeah, they still. My husband's um, he's been a a bread eater, and so he's. He goes, oh, I can't give the bread up, and I said, oh, and then he'll he'll give it up for a week, and he says, oh, I feel better on it, and I said, yes, because they've had no bread, so I sort of let him go. My oldest son doesn't particularly; he has a sweet tooth. I'm trying to trying to get him over, but like 14 year olds, you know, they know everything, and and you know, we know nothing. Um, I just sort of that's do it. fairly normal for that age, though, isn't it, <laughs> Jenny? <laughs> exactly exactly so I sort of I just do what I do and then you know I give them options and you know they I like if I make a meal um you know they'll like say some pasta with their spaghetti bolognese and I just make my extra bit on the side but but predominantly like if it's vegetables and things they get the same as what I get yes 
So and the meat wise, all that sort of thing is exactly the same as well. So mm. yeah, they, you know, I'm trying sort of them over that way. Um, yeah, I, and being rural New South Wales is sort of a bit harder too. I find that you know people aren't you know open to different ideas, and it's it can be um, yeah sort of hard when you're going sort of places that sort of thing just because people are unaware of it. Um, so I just I like my cheeses. But once you become aware, that's the one thing. It's the awareness that I got out of following through the OFM is you become quite aware of what foods contain what and so you make more informed choices than, say, you previously would. But I haven't had pasta or rice for oh, months and months and months and I, I don't, I'm not looking for it. Well, Even when I was in, it was actually interesting when I was in Bintan, obviously they, Indonesia, they have a lot of rice there and I'd just have my meal and I'd just say, oh, no rice, thanks. You might, you might you might want to play with the rice a little bit as a strategic carb, but use like, like what I do, and I think you might like this, is make a really simple rich risotto with some milled white rice, the, the high, the, the sticky rice out of Southeast Asia that the Asians eat. Yep. Um, if you mix that with, you can even put an egg yolk if you really want to rich it up, but you mix it up with Asiago and Parmesan cheese and then some sour cream and then salt and pepper to taste. That makes a really good strategic carb um, for somebody like you. And it's like rocket fuel. Like you go out, if you're going to go out and do a hard workout the next day, um, that might work really well with you because um, milled white rice is about the most benign carbohydrate in terms of it doesn't have a lot of lectins or phytates at all in it. It's just starch because the outer layer, when they mill it, um, all the silica and all the stuff that's protecting that seed um, is gone. So it, it actually, I mean, yes, it's, it's a carbohydrate load, but in terms of a strategic carb, it's pretty clean if you blunt that glycemic load with uh, those really rich cheeses. Being a, being a, a cheese slave, that you are, you might really like it, like 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 some Parmesan Asiago cheese and sour cream, and then salt and pepper to taste. You just got to mix it up, and I think you'll find that is a really good side dish for that, you know, pre-brick workout or pre-race. Um, yeah, I like the that. Yeah, yeah. So don't don't discount that because you're you're adapting so well as long as you use it strategically. Yep, yep. But I I hadn't actually thought of using it like putting the, you know, the cheeses and the sour cream and things through it. But that makes perfect sense, yes. Yeah, yeah it's, really, it's really simple. I mean, it's literally you grate up some Parmesan and Asiago cheese and then a little bit of sour cream and it makes it kind of a real sticky, rich thing and you just salt and pepper to taste and you're good to go. Yeah. Hmm. I'll give that one a go. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a few things to try now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's all good and stay on the broth. So... Um, let's kind of dive into this and gnomes, I want you to kind of really help us dive into this, but there's, I wanted to kind of get the girls talking about this because there's a lot of talk out there, a lot of conflicting information about how OFM or whether OFM or fabtation or keto, um, works for women athletes. And, um, a lot of people are saying no, but yet. We have so many people like you, Nell Stephenson, um, Lou Woten, um, 
just uh, Jenny Capel here in the States, uh, Nikki Kimball, who are, who are doing really well on this and, and they're, they're actually doing it, but it seems to be like real world athletes really doing it don't count and, and sort of like experts saying that you women need carbs and they can't really be fat adapted. So I'd like to kind of kind of go into this, you know, you're, you're, you're a middle-aged quote unquote chronologically woman. So are you still cycling? Can I ask that question? Yes. Okay. Sort of backing off, but yes. Okay. So here you are. You're healthy and you're still cycling. And, you know, have you noticed anything about that? Has that gotten a little bit easier to live with by switching? Yes, actually. It was interesting. Um, I was never a, a heavy, never cycled very heavy, but you used to get that heaviness um, just before you did. And I find that I don't get that at all now. Um, yeah, so I do notice that difference. Yeah, you're talking um, about the, the inflammation and the retention yeah. of fluid uh, right before menses, the onset yep. menses. Yep, 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 yep. There's, and that's got to do with the lower degrees of inflammation because what happens is when the uterus gets ready to shed, it, it becomes inflamed. That's just a natural process. So the, lo the less inflammation, other tiers of inflammation you have, the less you have and, and this is what you're saying is pretty consistent with what other women have, have said to me i think including naomi yeah it's not um you just don't feel heavy you don't feel um even the, the crampy that sort of thing you don't feel that anywhere near to the extent of what you did before um and i was like i said i was never a heavy i never had heavy periods or anything like that so i was never i didn't like compared to what some women go through so but i've even noticed a difference um in that regard yes right right you yeah and so uh tell us more about like with your performance you know in terms of your both your training and your racing um as a, as a female athlete using a more much more fat adapted approach um it was interesting because doing bin tan was my trial of used going this way um, as a lead into Kona like I didn't I wasn't prepared to um, just launch into it in Kona um, I had belief in it and you could see things in training but I still even believe that you can't totally replicate a race in training and I wanted to do a hot one as well um, being because Kona being Kona um, so I went and did Bintan and throughout that whole race it was actually interesting the only I only had one gel the whole time like I had um you know I had my keto salts and I had um the Vesper and I had my junior and things like that and I and I had the extras there if I need felt that I needed it but at no point did I actually need it um and it was interesting because when I do the run in a half or even a full is that i, I personally don't like coke but I love it on a run that's my go-to um I mean you're obviously not when you actually think about it you're not getting that much it's not like you're drinking you know a full cup full because you never get down but the flat coke I just find and that's what I did the whole run I didn't have a gel in the whole run for the 21 kilometers so it's it's easier like you're not having to have multitudes of things to have um, and I avoided the carb loading. I didn't need to go to the carb loading. 
So what did you do the night before? Well, being in Bintan, yeah, being in Bintan was quite interesting because, I mean, it's obviously it's a very small island and it's not like I could go to a supermarket and get some things. So um, my sister-in-law is in KL and she came over. So we just went to one of the restaurants and I sort of just picked, I think I had some fish and I sort of just made tried to do as best as I could with get like you know I'd there was some you could order some chips so I had some chips in there like just to get those few extra carbs um, in there with some veggies and things like I just did the best I could do at that particular time and you know the, to me it was you know I I didn't get stressed over that uh, because I just sort of went well I can't change it this is you know, I can just pick the best that I can do at the time and and that was fine. And same with the morning of race, I, you know, I like I would have tried to have my bulletproof coffee but obviously that wasn't a possibility so uh, just had a coffee with butter in it and then I sort of felt that I wanted to have something so I got I just got a piece of sourdough bread and toasted it and lavished it with butter. Like I think I had three of those little tubes of butter <laughs> spread out onto it and that's what I had pre-race yeah um, and it's amazing isn't it because the stress is one of the things that um you can come become fat adapted so easily or not so easily and the less stress in your life and it's not about you know I love how you that you know you've you've gone there and you've changed your mindset into a positive mindset instead of a negative one. Instead of stressing mm-hmm. about, you know, what you're eating, it's like, well, let's just make the most of this and let's enjoy it. Um, I'm here to race, so it's not, not going to affect tomorrow's in a big way. And, yeah, here we are. And I bet you yeah. did really well too, didn't you? Yeah, I, I was very pleased with how I went. Um, I ended up first in my age group and seventh female overall so I can't and and I've managed to beat the you know quite a few the 35s up to the 39s the 40 to 44 and the 45 to 49 age group women I was quite pleased that's incredible yes you 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 really smashed it didn't you and so you beat a number of pros too then oh there was that no the three pros came in front of me I'm not sure how my um run times or anything I mean they certainly weren't my best but it's obviously it's taking note of everyone's in the same conditions and you can't compare um, this race with that race you know because of the conditions that you're experiencing and the run was extremely hot um, no shade whatsoever and running on a um, concrete path and actually it was interesting I on the because there was three laps and over on one particular point on the first lap I could feel on my left hamstring just sort of grabbed at this particular point so I sort of walked it and thought okay I've just had a cramp you know and kept walking then went back into running and it was interesting didn't feel anything again but then when I came on to the second lap at the same point I it did it again and I thought okay this has got nothing to do with any you know, my levels of anything um, that I've got enough in me, it's obviously something else because if it was, like, why is it happening just on that spot? And so I looked at the the course and on that particular part, it was actually quite windy and the camber of the path was on quite an angle and 
my left ah. leg was the leg up and I went okay so when I went to the third time through I just ran a completely different line on it and didn't have a problem so it was just mm. which is exactly what we were saying before is listening to your body and saying well okay obviously it's not the other things it's some there's another factor in there and being aware of you know this is what it is and adapting to that so yeah um yeah. Yeah. Obviously. And that's about that's... being tired and all of those sorts of things too, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Because apparently quite a few people in that race ended up, um, well, not finishing, you know, dehydration and whatever else might have happened. And yeah, and even some in into hospitals in Singapore and things like that. So it was, when you hear those sorts of stories, you sort of go, oh, it was quite tough. And, and particularly coming from our winter too um which makes it even sort of even harder with no no real acclimatization um happening so yeah yeah so that, that yeah. worked out really good and i think um one of the things you mentioned uh in our debrief was uh exactly what naomi touched on here is how um the, the ofm mindset and it's not just about diet but but you really have adopted this uh in terms of the mindset and the physiological shift helps to drive that because you're just your brain's much more blood sugar stable but you said something like you know these are things i can't control so i'm not going to worry about them and just let go and, and adapt and do what i need to so can you sort of uh expound on that a little bit yeah i've sort of um the, you know i've always kind of slightly probably been even more so that way now i just sort of think there's things you can control and things you can't um, and stressing over them is actually probably having a sort of more of a negative effect than um, than a positive. Um, oh yeah, it's huge. Just, <laughs> yeah, and just accepting it. Okay, this is the way it is. Deal with it and keep going. I mean, I think yeah, don't. There's no point stressing. You know, even over things like the weather and things like that, well, you can't change it. it. That's what's being dished up. And so, you know, focus on the things that you can change. Um, yeah, and I think that makes a world, yeah, it takes a lot of the stress off the whole thing. You're just in the moment, you're just doing what you do, you're just racing, you're in the moment. Um, yeah, it makes a lot of difference. Yeah, you really got that mind, that OFM mindset down. And, and what happens is when you get that, you know, a lot of that is your, your own psychological profile and, and whatever you do, like having three children or four, three children plus a husband, having to deal with school children, but also something in your, your upbringing, you know, you're, you're obviously on it to, you know, be a high level athlete, mom, have a professional career, but, um, you know, we see so many athletes right now, me, who are very type A and, and they're just always stressing over things and, and never really getting the, the full benefits. And I think that this is also something that uh, we need to t speak about with in terms of uh, women athletes, because I think women are very predisposed to always trying a little too hard and, and getting those things, um, you know, things that don't matter blown way out of proportion. And we'd probably like to control if things that <laughs> <laughs> I won't kiss and tell <laughs> but I guess too it's it's understanding you know your own personality and if you're driven like that um, then knowing 
why you're thinking that way and changing that that way that you are thinking because it is quite hard when you are type A because you're always going to be like that, you know. So you just need to to turn it and change it around and go, is it really that bad, you know? Yeah, but I think um, you I think you can change it for the better, like like you know being able to just stop, take a breath, and step back. Yeah, and yeah, I think to most of us that are racing at a higher level, uh, I mean, you have to have some of that type A personality. I think that's how you mm. sort of get to where you're going. Um, but yes, it's definitely, and I've I've gotten, which is interesting, as I've gotten older, I've actually gotten better at. at that like and particularly this year I'm even even better um yeah whereas you'd think you'd go the other way you <laughs> should get older you get <laughs> well you know you just know, get wiser don't you <laughs> exactly well, well you do <laughs> but also <laughs> yeah but there's also the physiological shift helping to drive that they seem to work together because when you're you know like you know how you're talking about the ease of the diet and like if you're going out you know, it's like you don't have to eat like now, you know, the old hangry feeling when you're exercising a lot and then every two or th three hours you have to eat like now and the world comes to a halt. There's a sort of a mini internal panic. Mm. Um, that, does, that doesn't happen. So then you do have that physiological ability to step back and assess the situation in a, in a more balanced light. Is this really important? Uh, can I wait to eat or whatever challenges we're facing in the day, if we become aware of them and, and, and learn those new habits and skill sets, then we, we have this ability to make, you know, make better decisions. But, but having that blood sugar stable brain really does help drive that. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You don't have the, it's the peaks aren't there, the ups and the crashes and those sorts of things. And that suddenly that, um, you know, the, the the afternoon, you know, you hear a lot of people talk about in the afternoons, they're just sort of really low and everything like that. Whereas this way, you just, it's quite constant the whole whole day. You just, you're sort of on that even playing field the whole time rather than going through this mountainous range of ups and downs. Yeah, yeah, and you don't have the panics either. You just mm. like bring it on. Yep, yep. Now tell us tell us more about your your other the other aspect of your life because obviously uh, you know you're training and racing at a very high level, you're professional in your career. You've moved from being a hands-on teacher to actually teaching teachers. Is that correct? Yes, I'm currently doing an instructional leader, so I'm working with some schools that under um, a government initiative, Early Action for Success, and we're actually. So I work with a group of five small schools and I work with the teachers and, and the students in the kinder to year two area to try and increase their literacy and numeracy. So I, I love my job and I work with a great, I have some great teachers that I work with who are, are really enthusiastic and um, keen and appreciate, you know, just always striving to do their best for the kids. So yeah, no, I, I enjoy my job. Yeah, yeah. And, and Naomi and I both have uh, four soon to be five year olds right in that uh, sweet spot that you're doing your work in. Yeah. They're so receptive at that age. They're just, um, they're like little sponges and they're willing to take on, you know, um, 
you can see them sort of working out and thinking back to even when my boys were that sort of age, um, just some of the their little idiosyncrasies and, and you get to know that like because I have the five schools as I said, I've got quite a few kids and you just know know these kids and you know they're beautiful sort of little personalities and you can see them just developing and that sort of thing. Yeah, it's, it's great. Yeah, and I think we, we can learn a tremendous amount from that. Yes, yeah. In the way that they think and the, the slowing down, you know, and appreciating the little things in life. Mm. Yeah, oh, and be, definitely. Yeah, and being open to new radical ideas like this. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry about it. I, I do say it at home. I talk about it. That's too many kids. You know, you don't need to do that. You, you know, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. how, how receptive are the kids to you? Do you do they know you're a triathlete, these these young kids? I mean, um, is exercise sort of, uh, are you able to kind of like make that a, a component of the education that, you know, kids get out and get exercise so they, they're when they're ready to learn, they can sit down and learn? Well, they do actually, uh, all the, te the teachers obviously know what I do. And so after Bintan and, and that sort of thing, they sort of inform the kids of what I have done. And my um, children do quite well with their sport, particularly my middle one. And so we sort of talk about that as well. So the kids are quite inspired to what you're actually doing. Um, and yeah, it's interesting. They sort of sort of follow what you're, where you're going and what you're doing and those sorts of things. It's, yeah. That's incredible. Sounds like your life is just picture perfect at the moment. Oh, <laughs> don't know about that, Dogs. <laughs> it's just a normal. Um, it's just a normal life. I heard one of your boys is quite good at running as well. Uh, my middle one, yes, he's just um, he's he's obviously a Type A personality, and he is. He, goes out and does his own training and he's been state champion for cross country for two, uh, last year and this year and then he just recently competed at national level Australian nationals at um, in Canberra and he is the Australian 12 year boys cross country champion so oh yeah. wow mm. and it's interesting his mindset in that during the race he actually he did like a junior mob Barra and he was actually they were running in the pack and he's collected feet and he's gone down once and he's got up and continued and he actually went down a second time and my youngest son was actually filming so we've got it actually on footage and he's actually literally hit the deck and rolled come back up and he was dead last like by quite a few number of meters and he's and my husband happened to be there and he just said just focus, just, you know, you can work your way back up and he ended up winning. So, you know, and you wouldn't think at that level that you'd be able to do that because they're all, obviously, they're all the best in Australia. Um, but it just shows that the mindset is that, you know, he could have easily thrown the, the towel in and just given up. But he mm. sort of went, no, I can do this and just, yeah, worked his way back up and ended up winning. Yeah. Wow. Wow, have you got him on the Vespa yet? 
Um, no, but I, I, I has thought of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, I actually got a, a couple of years ago, I got a woman, a girls cross country team. They were a, a D5 school, which is a super small school. And they got moved up to a D3 uh, level because they were so competitive. And, um, you know, they were like a 265 uh, student school and they were competing against, you know, student bodies of several thousand. And their girls cross country team actually won and we, we all had them on Vespa Junior and it was the number um, three, four and five girls that in the last mile, they just started passing people in, in packs. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I'll have, have to talk to you about that one, Peter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just make sure he does a good warm up to get the physiology going, because once you and you probably already experienced this, that once you get that switch going and the, and the liver is upregulated and starting to split, spit out the glucose and ketones to meet the metabolic need, you know, you just become unstoppable. And I'm sure you're you've you've kind of felt that like all of a sudden at the beginning of a race, you, you know, first five minutes is fine. Then you're like sluggish for 10, 15, 20 minutes. And all of a sudden it's like watch out mm. so the warm-up is really critical for a short cross-country uh event yep yep and he he does do quite a decent warm-up so mm, i have to look at that one yeah so. yeah well super this has been a great um interview Naomi, any any other questions you might have of uh no i think we've just about covered the lot oh i think we covered the lot but we let's talk a little bit about going into kona um you know, you've had a, what, an eighth and a 12th or a 14th? Uh, my first year in 2013, I had a 13th. And then in 2014, I had a, an eighth place, yes. Wow. So, and so now we're looking for a podium, eh? Oh, I'd love one. <laughs> I'd love the wooden bowl. <laughs> well, we're going to do everything we can to help you get there and... Um, you know, we're we're looking forward to seeing you race, and then hopefully we'll we'll have you on again to do a follow up after Kona. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. No, feeling feeling good for it, and uh, looking forward to it actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, super. Nomi, anything else? No, I've just covered a lot. Jenny, you've just been amazing today, and you've covered everything that OFM um, tries to get people to do. So yeah. Well done. Actually, yeah. you know what? I, I, one thing that just occurred to me then is when I did the was trying the low carb before, I was trying to measure my ketones and things, and I started to stress about that. And that's the one thing I didn't do with the OFM was even worry about that sort of thing. And I was just listening to my body rather than worrying about the numbers. Yeah. That was, mm. I don't know why that just suddenly popped into my head then. Yeah, that, that is important. And, and I'm very, you know, the numbers can be good tools to look at, but they're, but too many, too often people end up chasing the numbers, like you say. Um, and the, and the other thing that we're seeing is that when you're a fat adapted athlete, particularly at the level of, of endurance that, that you're performing at, those numbers, there's a whole new paradigm. So those numbers, the traditional numbers for nutritional ketosis really don't apply to somebody like you. You actually have what I is a new set point for ketones. So you'll generally carry much lower ketone levels than people would from a sedentary standpoint. Yep. And then and what but but you're obviously fat adapted because 
you've gone from, you know, I'm sure when you started, they were telling you to do 400 calories on the bike per hour and yada, yada, yada. And you had to eat every two or three hours just because you were hangry. But, you know, you can, now when you're fat adapted, you can go out and do, you know, a 50, 60 metric century level ride on water and salt. Without without a lot of things, so, so you're obviously putting out the ketones, and you're you're at a high rate to be able to do that, correct? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And so so there's there's a lot of things that we're seeing that just don't fit in the current paradigm, and and um, we're sort of leading the science in that way. So you've you've really kind of figured it out, and I'm glad we were kind of able to help walk you through that process because that's one of the big pitfalls we see with low carb. Mm. And that's the whole thing, isn't it? Like it's it's with athletes to have a different set of, you know, there's not one set of numbers for anything that's compared to, say, the sedentary lifestyle to people that do, you know, endurance athletes. Well, um, yeah. And very the, different. Yeah, and the whole thing is all the, the last 50 years of, of quote-unquote science on athletes has been based on a very high-carb paradigm. And so we basically have to throw out probably 80, 90% of what we know because especially with the endurance athlete, what happens is when you're building cardio and, and I'm sure you and our audience have heard lately this thing about you don't need big lots of cardio or cardio is bad. You know, you just need to do intensity and, and resistance training. But, you know, that's all that's all based on a sugar-based um, paradigm, you know, and, mm. and if you're doing a lot of cardio or a lot of volume of exercise and you're, it's based on glucose, that's, that's not a good thing in my mind. But what we're seeing with, with athletes such as yourself is when you're doing this level of exercise, burning fat and metabolizing fat for all the nutrition that's in them, it's a completely different paradigm and it's extremely powerful. Yeah. So, and you're, and you're, you're actually a perfect shining example of that Naomi is, I mean, Naomi will tell you she couldn't, uh, conceive until she started to bring the fat and protein into her diet. And, you know, that started her on a path of, of health and wellness that, um, you know, was completely opposite of what she was led to believe. Well, that's with me too, all three children. The only way I fell pregnant with them was, um, I went off all wheat products totally off it had never fallen and then bang fell with three at the three of them i love how you girls in aussie land say that it's like you fell pregnant yeah. it's like it's like you fell over <laughs> something that doesn't happen by accident <laughs> I, I hate to tell you all <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> i just love it I just love how it. does that happen yeah how does that happen yeah. <laughs> I just fell pregnant. I couldn't fall pregnant yeah. no matter what I did. Now I fall pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Yeah, well, that's that. See, that's interesting. I'm glad we, we, we drug this out a little bit longer. So there's another thing. And that and that's really important because it's, it, that hormonal health and hormonal balance is so key. And, and both of you are, are shining examples of that. And, and, you know, I think we'll have Dr. Mangarelli on here soon about this because he has a fertility clinic and this is a lot of what he deals with and his wife is actually a high level age grouper herself. So, mm. all right. Well, thanks again, uh, Jenny. Um, and um, thanks, Jenny, it was great having you today. 
Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, and we'll be following you at Kona and uh, definitely getting you supplied. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Thank you. Good luck. You are listening to Food for Thought, the OFM podcast, sponsored by Vespa.